The sorting hat only put me in Gryffindor, said Harry in a defeated voice, because I asked not to go in Slytherin. Exactly, said Dumbledore, beaming once more, which makes you very different from Tom Riddle. It is our choices, Harry, that show us what we truly are, far more than our abilities. J.K. Rowling You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots, I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. In today's episode, we want to take a deep dive into one of the most important aspects of leveling up your writing, and that is giving your characters choices. It's very easy to put yourself in your main character's shoes, but since you know everything that happens, you aren't giving your main character choices about what's happening. So it's easy to fall into this, especially when you're already edging toward that Mary Sue or the perpetual victim stereotype for your point of view character. I also think this is a lot more likely to happen with plotters because you know what you want to happen. You know what choices your characters need to make. So you kind of funnel them in that direction and don't actually give them choices. So we wanted to talk about how to give your characters choices, how to make them an active participant in your story, and make them as strong as they possibly can be. Before we get started, I want to point out that your characters' choices don't all have to change the plot. We're going to talk about two different kinds of choices. One are the big choices, the choosing to save the wife instead of the son, big choices, or little choices him choosing this particular drink at the bar instead of this one that has no relevance on the plot whatsoever, but giving him that choice deepens the character that you're writing. You also need to keep in mind that the big choices should not be between good and evil. They should be between bad and worse. And I feel like Batman was a really good example of this. He had to choose between saving his girlfriend and saving Harvey Dent. Neither was a good choice. It was no possibility of making a good choice. He had to choose between bad and worse. If you make it an easy choice for your character, then one of two things is going to happen. One, your reader is going to be underwhelmed by the moment, or worse, two, your reader is underwhelmed by the character. They aren't facing hard choices. They aren't conquering big issues in their own life because they're all easy choices. There are some things that can help you give your characters choices that will help move the story and deepen the character level. Let's get into what that actually looks like for your story. The first and one of the biggest problems that I find is... With bad choices, and not just the character choosing evil, but bad choices being presented to the characters, is their reactions aren't believable. So when you're writing your choice for the character and you know they need to go down this way, they need to choose an unfortunate outcome. Don't make the other choice a happier outcome, because then that choice is unbelievable. We don't align with a character. We don't understand why they made it. It's not a good choice, good here and being helpful to the story. 
I think the best example of this for me is in A Throne of Glass, where this character is supposed to be this amazing assassin who has made a name for herself in the assassin's world as being incredible at what she does. And she knows that she needs to keep some of her skills subtle, and she knows all of this, but she's annoyed. So she lets go of all of her training and just does whatever. It does not make sense for this character who's supposed to be this amazing assassin to be so not in control of her emotions. That is the main contribution to why I hated that book, because none of the character decisions were believable for what had been established as their background. So the first thing to consider when trying to make it believable is to make it so that the audience can predict, to a certain extent, the types of choices that the character would make. If we put Frodo and Sauron in front of the One Ring, we know they're going to make different decisions because we know the characters of who Frodo and Sauron are. Being able to predict these things, especially your audience being able to predict the choices that your character might make, is a huge indicator of how well-developed that character is and how well-conveyed that character is. Of course, surprises can be a good thing in your story, but only one character gets to be the one that surprises the reader with their choices. And it needs to be well-established as part of their character that that's what happens. The book series I'm reading right now, the main character is the one that's continuously surprising the reader. And those are mostly when he chooses to be obnoxious and when he chooses to be in complete control of himself. Those seem like a strange dichotomy, so we don't really know which path he's going to take, but it makes the character interesting because we know he's just going to be this character and he might swing one way or the other, who knows? And that's in character. And I would say if they're surprising the reader, they need to be surprising the other characters as well. The other characters need to react and kind of be that Greek chorus character for this decision that the reader may be looking at and going, that doesn't make any sense, or this came out of nowhere. Another tool in your tool belt for making the decisions believable goes back to Psychology 101, that is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Any choice that your character makes will be based somehow in this hierarchy. If you're familiar with this hierarchy, the base thing that everybody needs that they will worry about first and foremost are physiological needs. Food, shelter, anything that keeps them alive. So if your main character is struggling to breathe because they're drowning, they are not working toward the self-actualization that happens at the top of the pyramid. Above the physiological is the safety So that's something like having a home, not feeling threatened by the people who are around you. If your character's in jail, they aren't feeling safe even though they're getting food and water because they're being kept alive as prisoners. They don't feel safe. It can turn that shelter-based need from your physiological into, I need a secure place to live, somewhere where I can feel safe, not just a shanty that will keep me dry. After they have their physiological needs taken care of, after they feel safe, then they will start looking for love and belonging. They'll start looking for human connection, whether that's through family or friends. This is effectively the difference between a house and a home. 
House is providing safety. Homes are providing love and belonging. This is especially where the found family trope comes into play, is when they are moving into the love and belonging. They have people that they belong with. Once they've found a place among people, they will start looking to raise that place among people. They will start looking for esteem. They will start looking to be known and well-known and praised beyond just those within their inner circle. All of these are deficiency needs. So your character is acting out of needing something that they are lacking currently. The last one, the very top, is self-actualization. That is a growth need. So if your character is living a comfortable but boring life, then they need to discover something about who they are. They are learning and growing about themselves and becoming self-actualized. That is a growth, not a deficiency. So you need to consider where your characters are in this hierarchy. Are they still just looking for the physiological needs? If they are, they're not going to be worried about what they're going to do for the rest of their life. They're not going to be worried about finding a hobby that fulfills them. They're going to be worried about putting food on the table or having a table. So when it comes to your character making decisions, recognize what's motivating them in that decision. If I'm afraid of a trauma recurring in my own personal life, that is a safety issue because I don't want to be emotionally hurt again. So that is where I am and the choices that I make will come from wanting to avoid that pain of that trauma again. Once you know where your characters are within this hierarchy, you can start giving them choices that would define and be in character for them. For example, when someone is making a choice that is in character for them, it matches what they are pursuing at that moment. It matches who they are and the values that they hold as vital in their lives. For example, Samwise, he was given a choice to turn back and to not continue following Frodo. Frodo tried to go off on his own, but Samwise is loyal to a fault. No one would have believed that it was in character for him to turn around and say, you got this? Cool. I'm going to head back home because I've been missing nice home-cooked meals. There is a distinct difference, but parallel story when it comes to what's in character and what defines the character. We're going to talk about that difference a little more in a minute, but making sure that the choices are in character is about the past and how your character would predictably fall into making this particular choice. And what's defining the character is often new to the character and those choices defining them. And we will talk more about the defining a character in a few minutes. Another way to make sure that it is in character is that you can have the characters discuss those choices after the fact. The idea of he should have is a very powerful tool for breaking and creating alliances. So if you need to create a rift, you can have a different character look at your main character's decision and say, he should not have chosen to do that. And it starts to sow other subplots that you can use to further the story. You'll see this with sports fans, especially. 
of how they start to separate from their favorite team or favorite players because they start making choices different than the fan might have made. So that rift starts to happen when you present it to other characters then it's something that not only defines the character who's making the choice, but the characters who are analyzing it afterward. When your characters are making choices is also very important to consider when you are looking at the structure of your story. It's often said that in the first half, stuff happens to the main character. In the second half, they happen to the stuff. This is especially hand-in-hand with that hero's journey and the everyman character as the point-of-view character. They don't necessarily want to go on this journey initially, but they feel they have to. They're compelled to by circumstance or whatever the problem is. They're being dragged along through the story. And then, in the second half, they start to take ownership of what's happening to them. They are starting to make choices, and especially if there's a self-actualization internal plot, they're coming into themselves and knowing who they are, so they're making different choices than they might have made in the first half. And there always does need to be that tipping point from them being passive within their story to being active within their story. Where exactly that tipping point is depends on your structure. Some characters will start being more active earlier on, but it does at least need to happen by halfway. Otherwise, we start to feel zero love for the main character because they are passive. It is very rare that people enjoy a passive main character that isn't making choices, that isn't deciding their own path within the story. When you are presenting choices to your main character, there are a couple of main ways to do it. The first is having another character present the choice. One of you must take the ring to Mordor. A character is presenting your main character with a choice. The other is a circumstance. They are presented with a choice through circumstance, such as they happened to come to a fork in the road, and now this circumstance they need to decide which side to take. So in Lord of the Rings, when Gandalf isn't at the Prancing Pony, they have to decide, do we move on? Do we try to continue this without Gandalf? Do we wait for him? And then eventually, do we trust this Ranger Strider character? If you do have a character present the choice, keep in mind it is very rarely the villain actively giving that choice. When that happens, it's somewhat of a trolley problem where they will give that bad and worse option, but a lot of the choices are presented by other characters, such as allies. If you do this, we can't work together anymore. And that leads to my favorite part about making choices, is if the choice being presented to the character is good versus evil, there's no real guilt in choosing good. It's not dramatic. It's not interesting. If you're choosing between bad and worse, you have to deal with burying your girlfriend because you saved the city instead. So there are a few options for applying guilt to your story. One of the first is that there will be guilt over the choices they made in their backstory. That guilt will then carry over to their present decisions. 
if they made a decision in the past that ended up with somebody dying, they're going to be a lot more hesitant about making a similar decision in the future. Not only backstory, but choices that are made earlier in the story. If she chose to be mean to the nerdy kid because she wanted to be cool at the new school that she was at, then how the nerdy kid is responding now when she needs the nerdy kid's help is going to give guilt to the point of view character. And then there is the future guilt. The guilt that they feel over choices that they know they will have to make eventually. They know there will come a time where they have to choose to betray their friend or they have to choose to kill someone even though they've promised they wouldn't. And that hurts them. And I think this is probably one of the best tools in using for a villain arc where they feel guilt over all these decisions that they're going to have to make. And it actually ends up with them making worse choices and worse choices and worse choices that leads them to being the bad guy. Of course, guilt can't happen if there isn't a choice for that character. I don't want to see characters who feel guilty because they weren't home when the bad guy came and killed the dog. Unless they made a choice to actively not be home and did something else instead, that guilt is a lot less powerful. So it does need to be guilt over a choice, not guilt over a circumstance. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be the wrong choice that he made. In a book I just finished reading, the opening scene, the main character tries to shoot the bad guy and the bad guy moves his wife's body in front of himself as a body shield. So he accidentally shoots his wife. Shooting the bad guy that was terrorizing this town was not the wrong choice. He can still feel guilty about the choice that he made. Now that you've decided to give your characters a choice, let's get into how exactly these choices will help. We mentioned earlier that there is the difference between in-character decisions and having decisions define characters. If your reader can't guess how the character will choose, it's not a great character. This is, of course, different if you're in the first half of the first act of the story, because we're still getting to know the character, and not knowing how they will choose means it's a good choice in helping define the character. But if we're three quarters of the way through the story, and we still have no clue about this character and who they are and what their motivations are, this includes villains, then it's not a great character. So all of those choices that your character does make in the first act, even if they are being pulled along in the story, they're still making choices. Those are what define your character. Those help you set up for future choices that really matter to the plot, that really matter to the character. Also know where your character's line in the sand is. If a stranger is threatened, versus their kid being threatened, there's a different line in the sand there. They will react differently because nothing will harm my child. If I see a stranger being threatened, but I don't know the circumstance behind it, I'm going to be a lot more hesitant about acting, about doing something to stop it, unless I see an active threat to life. However, if I see the same kind of vague circumstance happening to my child or my dog or my husband or my friend, I am going to start throwing hands. So know what your character values the most. 
and that helps guide you in the decisions that they're making. So if your character follows the god of free will and someone is stifling someone else's free will, they're going to act on that in order to give free will back to the circumstance. If someone made a choice and sucks for them, it's on them, and they follow the god of free will, they're going to step back and let someone else have their free will. It is also important to remember that different characters make different choices. Your allies are not always going to agree on what to do or where to go. If they are all making the same decisions, they're probably dangerously close to being the same character, and that's boring. They can agree on things, but their motivations should be different. Boromir and Sam both went and joined the Fellowship of the Ring, but their motivations were very different in doing so. Make sure your motivations are clear, especially to your audience, so even when they agree, they are different characters. It's also the choices that make the bad guy bad. It is not circumstance, so remember your villains need choices as well. What did they choose to do that put them somewhere? And I think that goes a lot to the quote that we used at the beginning. Harry and Tom Riddle initially were in very similar circumstances, but it was their choices that turned one into the hero and one into the villain. And ultimately, characters without choices are boring. They're so boring. Those are the characters that appear like Mary Sue's or Gary Stew's or simply just victims in the story. This is one of my biggest problems with New Moon, the second Twilight book. It is so boring because none of her choices are active, unless you're talking about really being suicidal. Another reason for making sure you insert choices into your story is to make sure that you're moving the story forward. That happens through conflict. Conflict is what keeps your characters from being victims. It keeps your characters from being boring. Conflict moves characters and it moves stories. And these choices showing up at the beginning and then at the end is a great way to show character development. So that cheerleader that picked on the nerd in order to be popular at her new school has the same opportunity to pick on the nerd at the end of the story, but she's grown as a person. She realizes that the nerd is a person too. Now she's making the choice to defend the nerd to her less mature friends. This really helps define that character growth because we see that change over the story and it is proven by that final decision that mirrors the one at the beginning. And like we mentioned earlier, Different characters making different choices makes it so allies can be at odds and still allies. These are good opportunities to explain the choices, to explain the reasoning behind why your characters are choosing to help define those characters. Because if they don't agree, there has to be some sort of discussion or argument or rift that can then be used to make it make sense. So yes, I will align with you in order to take out the bad guy, but after that, I'm never speaking to you again. Because of the choice that you made is not the one that I would have made. I hate you, I hate them more, but once this is over, we're going separate ways. 
The other thing that choices can really help with is deepening your word count. Instead of saying, they traveled to Cityville, you can make that travel a struggle. You can give them choices along the way, whether they want to travel by water or whether they want to fly or whether they want to walk. All of those decisions that they can encounter on the road makes it interesting and memorable. And I think this is one thing a lot of D&D stories miss out on is having those road encounters, having the travel encounters that give people choices and a thing to do. And this also makes the travel memorable. Instead of one line at the beginning of the chapter and they traveled to blah, blah, blah. The characters meet up and go, okay, we need to go to Canterbury. How do we want to do this? Making that choice makes the travel interesting and memorable so the readers aren't going to forget it. Just think of The Lord of the Rings. Could you imagine how the story would go if they just said, yeah, they walked to Mordor, it was fine. All of the story is in that travel. And yes, sure, there's a lot of boring parts in that travel where there should be conflict and there wasn't. But there was also a lot of conflict. There was conflict between the fellowship. There was conflict that they were encountering. There were struggles and trials and things they had to prove for their characters to be ready for that ending. So when Faramir chooses to take them to Gondor, and later on when he chooses to let them go, both of these are choices made by the character and showing a little bit of character growth that make that travel interesting. Them choosing to not fight or them choosing to throw the bread off the cliff. These different choices that they make adds to the struggle, makes the story of the travel interesting. And finally, choices add weight to particular moments. If you need to make a moment stand out, if you need it to be memorable to the reader, give the characters a choice. Slow it down and give them time to make that decision. Yeah, sure, you knew they were going to make that decision, but slowing it down helps the reader understand and relate and remember. And a lot of that is because the reader is asking themselves the same question. If I were in the main character's shoes, would I choose the same thing? So your reader is automatically connecting with the character every time you give them a choice to make. Obviously, you don't need to slow down every single choice. We don't need to slow down the choice of what they're going to have for breakfast unless that is a monumental breakfast for them. But you can slow down those big things, those things that will change the course of the story. Now, like every episode we've had this month, we do have homework for you. And it comes down to, shocker, giving your characters choices. The first piece of homework is to, as a writing exercise, write down a particular question and show how each character responds differently. A great example of this, if you want to see it in action, is a Firefly episode where the main characters are all captured by the Alliance and questioned. And we see all of the questions that they're being asked, and they all answer them wildly different. And it is hilarious. One of my favorite things about that show is each character is very different, and a lot of that is in the choices that they make. Not only just the role that they play in the story, but there's a huge comedic opportunity in having one character asking a whole bunch of characters the same thing with vastly different outcomes. 
Your next piece of homework is to insert a choice for your character that has no relevance on the plot whatsoever, but simply helps to define the character. So if your gruff, manly man, Jeremiah Johnson type character goes into a bar and asks for a Cosmo, we have a completely different point of view on that character because of his drink of choice. These small details about the character in the choices that you present in front of them help define and make the characters interesting and memorable. So your homework is to add a zero stakes choice in the scene for your character to answer. Next is to figure out what your villain feels guilty about. We talked about the good use of guilt for a villain arc. So consider your villain has been through that before. What is that? And look at yourself. Look at the choices that you make in your daily life. A lot of the choices that I make that have zero effect on anyone else is which route I'm taking to Starbucks today. Sometimes I'll go this way, sometimes I'll go that way. It depends on if the school is getting out around that time. It depends on traffic. It depends on where I'm headed after Starbucks. Look at the choices that you're making in your own life and then recognize what that says about you. And then consider how your characters would respond differently. I think this one is an important exercise to make sure you're not writing a character that is just you. Would your character have different reasoning for taking a route to Starbucks? Would they prefer to go near the school while it's letting out because they get to see their daughter that they never see in passing? Self-inserts are one of those signs of immaturity. So having your character make a different decision than you, the author, would make is leveling up your writing. It's making your story better. Another way to make sure it's not a self-insert, even though you feel like it isn't, is to take a personality quiz. What kind of potato are you? If all of your characters are all french fries, then maybe you need a vodka thrown in there somewhere. All of this should be combined to help you make well-defined characters that are active in their own story. After all, this is their story that you're telling. This is their experience. Sure, it's fiction. Sure, you're making it up. But the character has to be active in what they're doing. But that doesn't mean you can't write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 